0: You connected. This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard highlights the constellation Orion in his Star Talk report. Then ideas on solar energy installations start to sprout as the new year has green energy opportunity incentives. We'll have a sneak peek inside a geodesic dome made from a kit. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from
1: NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. Kevin McCarthy of California is now the Speaker of the House. It took more than four days, but it finally happened in the early hours of this morning on a 15th ballot. As NPR's Dave Mistage reports, there were tense moments in the floor leading up to McCarthy taking the gavel.
2: After falling one vote shy of becoming Speaker on a 14th ballot, Kevin McCarthy walked toward Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert, who had voted present. Gates, casting a late vote, sank McCarthy's chances on that try, and there were calls to adjourn before the lawmakers regrouped for a 15th vote. Gates and Boebert again voted present. But more fellow Republicans joined them, lowering the number of votes McCarthy needed to win.
1: NPR's Dave Mistage. McCarthy won after making several concessions to the far right wing of his party. He agreed to allow just one member of the House to offer a motion to have him removed as Speaker at any time. His last attempt to become Speaker was in 2015. It failed because of right wing opposition. Thousands of economists are meeting in New Orleans this weekend for the annual convention of the Allied Social Sciences Associations. Steve Beckner reports a main topic is the outlook for the U.S. economy this year.
3: The economics of everything from agriculture to energy to trade will be on tap at seminars and panel discussions. But uppermost on many minds will be the country's economic prospects. The Federal Reserve is in the midst of an aggressive tightening of monetary policy to combat the highest inflation in 40 years. So Fed officials and Fed watchers are on hand to debate how much higher interest rates need to go to lower inflation to the central bank's 2% target. Many economists put high odds on a recession while others hope for a soft landing, with the Fed able to curb inflation without greatly hurting GDP growth or driving up unemployment. For NPR News, I'm Steve Beckner. Justice ministers from around the world
1: have been invited to a conference with the goal of seeing Russia and its leaders tried for alleged war crimes in Ukraine. Vicki Barker has more on the story from London. Britain's Justice Minister, Dominic Raab, and his Dutch counterpart are co-hosting the meeting, convening in London in March. They want to raise the funds and the pressure needed to have any Russian war crimes found to have been committed in Ukraine prosecuted at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. The ICC has already begun its investigation, but legal experts note the court has no jurisdiction over Russia because Moscow isn't a signatory to it. And any new tribunal prosecuting alleged Russian war crimes in Ukraine would have to be approved by the U.N., something Russia would be expected to veto. For NPR News, I'm Vicki Barker in London. And you're listening to NPR News from Washington.
0: This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, ideas on solar energy installations are sprouting as the new year brings green energy opportunity incentives with the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. We'll hear an overview of concepts to help interested folks understand What they need to know as they approach their solar array installation. And we'll have a sneak peek inside a geodesic dome made from a kit. But first, here's Keith Hubbard with this week's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us for this week's locally produced Farm and Country.
4: country i'm keith hubbard and this is star talk dominating the southern sky in the winter is the constellation orion orion is one of the most recognizable constellations in the sky orion can be found in the sky first by looking south and then by locating a large rectangle in the sky bisected by three stars the rectangle is the body of orion and the three stars that bisect orion's body are orion's belt The bright red star on the upper left is called Betelgeuse. It is a red supergiant, which describes both its color and its size. Betelgeuse has cooled down in its old age, which is why it is burning red. Betelgeuse is a massive star, 142 million miles in diameter. If we were to replace the sun with Betelgeuse, then Betelgeuse would consume Mercury, Venus, and Earth and extend out to the orbit of Mars. The bright blue star on the lower right of Orion is called Rigel. Rigel is a blue supergiant, and like Betelgeuse, it is many times larger than the Sun. Due to its size and brightness, Rigel is expected to end its life in a supernova. It is one of the nearest supernova candidates, lying 860 light-years away. Below the three stars of Orion's belt is the Orion Nebula. Through binoculars, the blue haze of the nebula is apparent. Orion will be visible in the southern sky in the evening until the end of March. Look to the south this week to find Orion standing tall. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard, reminding you to keep looking up.
2: This is another part of the uh, calculation is if you're
0: it. Back in mid-September of 2022, I tagged along with my husband, who signed us up for a tour of homes in Wayne County that utilize solar arrays to generate electricity and reduce the use of fossil fuels. Organized by Kathy Dodge of the Seeds Group Energy Circle... We joined 30 attendees and were given a presentation of Ford residential installations. As a consumer, I feel the need to be knowledgeable about the technical process of solar installation. And, what I learned, there's a lot of terms to understand. Net metering, grid-connected systems, current inverters, string inverters, micro-inverters, converters, and MC4 connectors, chalk line, solar seal, junction plates, galvanized clips, disconnect switch, and keeping under consideration are orientations to the sun, shading, moving parts, moisture issues, and setbacks, rail-to-rail roof mounts, metal versus plastic conduit type of roof, and silicon rated solar efficiency. There are costs, safety issues, geographical temperatures, degradation, warranties, pricing, economics, code rules, regulations on local laws regarding building permits, and talking to electrical utility companies regarding compliance. Yikes! I highly recommend finding a reliable information source to guide you in design plans and decisions. I am grateful to Jack Barnett, a volunteer with the Seeds Group Energy Circle, who took the time to clarify this process of understanding solar installation. Tell me your name. I am Jack Barnett. Hi, Jack Barnett. Is it true that you're an engineer?
2: I am a retired engineer.
0: Okay, then you have a lot of qualifications. Electrical
2: engineer, right, I guess? Even electrical, yes. Okay, tell me what your role is with the SEEDS group. I'm on, on the board of directors, and I've, um, I'm actually the leader of the Sustainable Food Circle, but I also have done a lot of energy work and, and I participate in the Energy Circle and do a lot of solar advocacy. Mm-hmm. A solar tour was an example of that. We had all the homeowners, plus myself and a couple other of the SEEDS Energy Circle members, Organized the tour where we visited four different homes in Damascus and Diberry Townships. Each of the homeowners got to speak about their project, why they did it, how they did it. And we talked about a little bit of the design qualities in each of the systems. Two of the stops had multiple systems. So it was a good chance to see solar in action. Well,
0: I have to agree It is very much an example of solar in action. What I was very impressed with is the amount of technology and
2: science that goes into what we saw. Yeah, and in our case, we saw systems that were installed over the last decade. So there were some systems that were more than 10 years old and some that were just installed in the last couple of years. So it helped... To see how the solar technologies have evolved and gotten better and how the costs have come down. We had uh, one homeowner that had solar panels that were only 230 watts, and then we had another one that was 410 watts for almost the same size panel. So that's just an example of how the density, the energy density, has improved and the cost fell between those two systems as well, significantly.
0: And it was well attended. There was about 30 guests participating, I believe, and I just loved listening to some of the questions that brought up issues about off-grid and
2: on-grid systems. Yeah, so we did get a lot of good questions. I really liked that people were asking questions and insightful ones. The common misunderstanding that's out there is when someone says they've got solar on the roof They'll, someone else will respond, oh, you're off the grid. And sometimes that's true, but that's less common than you think. What they're really saying is, oh, you produce all the energy you need for the whole year from your on-site solar system. But you're still most likely connected to the utility so that the utility provides energy at night, but they're using electrons or whatever that were produced by you during the day, so you export energy during the sunshine, and then you get to reclaim that energy at night, or maybe store it over the winter into the winter.
0: Well, I don't know if you limited the amount of folks that could sign up for this tour, and you should because it's follow the leader, and there's a lot of other details. But my question is, a superstorm Sandy happened in 2012. And at the time of this tour, it's a very late summer 2022.
2: Are people more interested now? Is there more of a need? Well, there certainly is some of that. Certainly in New Jersey, especially a lot of the homeowners wanted to make sure they had a backup power supply, not just dependent exclusively on the grid. And for some people, especially in Northeast Pennsylvania and New York, having a backup generator or a solar battery or a solar array that can work even without the grid, that's important to the people. I certainly is important to me. But I think what's really driving the uptick in interest in solar the last year, particularly, is the increase in electricity prices. Since the economy came back after all the COVID disruptions, um, since the war in Ukraine started just standard electricity prices have almost doubled. In PPL territory here in Northeast PA, we've gone from $0.07 a kilowatt hour to $0.12 a kilowatt hour in just less than a year. And when that happens, everybody says, oh, if I could generate my own power and value it at $0.12 instead of $0.07, I can get my money back in half the time, um, or nearly so. So that's the kind of thing that people are driving more and more to to go solar.
0: If there seems to be an, an increase in interest just based on price, what about the supply chain? Are we looking at some solar technology that's going to be made in the U.S. or even better locally here in Pennsylvania?
2: Oh, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? The United States was one of the leaders in solar technology in the 70s and 80s. and But after that period, we lost it. Germany, Japan, China, more recently, have taken over the solar industry and are now dominating it. And we've had very little investment in U.S.-based manufacturing and even a rare case of North American manufacturing at all. There are a few manufacturers that have come online say in the last two years since COVID lockdowns disrupted the supply chain from China and Southeast Asia. But what's interesting is in the new Inflation Reduction Act that was just passed, there are a bunch of tax incentives added to the plan over the next 10 years that will re incentivize additional U.S. manufacturing. So I think we'll see more solar panels, more batteries, more ancillary equipment, the railings, the mountings, the components of electric vehicles, all of those things are more likely to be manufactured locally because they will be benefit from those tax incentives.
0: You mentioned that SEEDS has created an energy circle, and you're part of that, along with the volunteers. It was Kathy Dodge and Jim Sanders. We were at Chuck Hine's house, but Pete Snyder was the speaker at uh, Chuck Hines' house because they were on vacation. And, of course, Martin Springetti did a fabulous presentation. How is this benefiting our community, the way you reach out
2: to people to try and share this information? Oh, we think it's real important, especially with all the interest lately. So we really want to be advocates for solar and clean energy choices, and we want to help those people in the community be better consumers, educated consumers. Unfortunately, the same incentives and the public interest increasing has led to a lot of scammers and or not quite trustworthy contractors getting into the industry and and selling product or making proposals that may not make at all good sense. So we're trying to help everybody to understand how to compare offers to make sure it's apples to apples if you get multiple quotes, and you should. How to compare the price of one system to a kind of a common price. Price per watt is kind of the denominator. So the capacity of the system needs to be considered, not just the total cost. You know, how big is the system divided by the capacity? Each uh, homeowner described...
0: A different situation a different location and it came out that just how your house is oriented how your property is oriented type of trees that you have there's so much information that goes into making this decision what do you recommend that people do for do it yourself or people that
2: don't want to do it themselves good question the key is to think about the location very closely you need a south-facing location. It doesn't have to be exactly south, but somewhere between southeast and southwest is going to be better than something further away. Tilt can make a difference, but anywhere in the 20 to 45 degrees tilt angle can work, and that may be on a roof, or if you can't fit it on a roof, maybe it's a, you have to build a structure called a ground mount to put it on, and we saw several examples of both types of systems. Then the other big concern is shading. Shading. If your location is shaded, even partially, that will reduce your ability to produce a lot of energy. The more shaded the location is, the more it will impact production. So we showed a tool today called a Solar Pathfinder that allows us to measure the shade on a location and then forecast from a tool produced by the National Renewable Energy Labs to take the size of your array, its attributes, how it's mounted, what, how it's facing, what's the weather in the location, and apply the local shading, and you can get a forecast for how much it will produce over a whole year. That was a great tool. It looked like it was
0: part of the Renaissance brought into present time with with technology, a, a sundial and a toy. So, tell people how they can get a hold of seeds. If you continue to want to reach out to the community. And people that need information on solar and green technology, tell
2: them how to do it. We'd love to have you contact us. We're based in Honesdale. The website is seedsgroup.net, N-E-T. And on that webpage, you'll find a lot of information that we've published there, including a, a set of professional installers that are based in northeast Pennsylvania. We don't have as much information there that is applicable to New York State but NYSERA has a lot of good information on their website, so if you're in New York, I recommend going there. And if you join SEEDS and you're in the three-ish counties of northeast Pennsylvania and maybe in Sullivan, we'd be glad to come visit as part of our solar site assessment that we offer free to our members, and a member is anyone who gives us any amount of donation.
0: It sounds like good advice. And also, I was impressed with the advice that people need to know that they've got to check their local municipal building codes if they're going to do solar enhancement or green energy enhancement.
2: Yeah. So there's at least three things you need to know. Check your zoning rules in your local municipality. The building codes are statewide in Pennsylvania. They may be different in New York. And then the utility, each utility has a set of standards that have to be complied with. So those three steps are part of the permitting process. I very much appreciate your intelligence
0: and your efficiency at expressing all the knowledge. Thank you for taking the time.
2: It's been a great talking to you, Rosie. Thanks for having us.
0: That was Jack Barnett from the Seeds Group Energy Circle. The nonprofit group Seeds based in Wayne County, Pennsylvania is holding a do-it-yourself solar workshop in 2023. Folks interested in learning how and why to install a solar PV array can contact Kathy at seedsgroup.net. The SEEDS organization will contact those interested with details about the event. After talking to Jack Barnett about the SEEDS solar tour that culminated at the home of Pat and Jim Sanders, I got to peek inside a geodesic dome.
3: My name is Jim Sanders, and uh, Pat and I have a geodesic dome greenhouse that we use to grow green leafy vegetables all year round even during the winter with no supplemental energy. It's built with four layer polycarbonate panels that uh, let the light in but serve as insulating value and underneath the beds there's a system that circulates air warmer air from the back of the greenhouse through these tubes underneath and exiting over there, and, and it's powered by a solar fan. There's a solar panel on the outside that powers that fan. And in the wintertime, this area is relatively warmer because there's a 700-gallon tank of water here that serves as a heat sink. It holds the heat in and warms up during the day in the winter, and then that heat gets pulled to the, the other part of the greenhouse in the winter. In the summertime, this area is cooler during the the summertime, and it circulates the cooler air to the warmer part of the greenhouse in the summertime. So reverse effect, Mm -hmm. summer to winter.
0: Did you actually build it yourself? And
3: tell me what the dimensions are. Uh, It's 18 feet in diameter, and it's about 10 feet high. And uh, it came as a kit from an outfit called Growing Spaces in Colorado. And yes, I, I put the kit together. The kit doesn't include the beds. I built the beds out of locust cutoffs from locust wood uh, from our property. And the rest of it, though, was part of the kit. I put together the water tank with components that, they, that was included in the kit. It was relatively easy to, it, to build. I mean, if you can put a model airplane together, you can put one of these together.
0: What inspired you to want to do this?
3: It required very little inspiration. Actually, it was a gift from our son. (laughs) I helped our son build a 33-foot diameter one over near State College uh, one fall. And that following Christmas, he came with a a trailer with a couple of pallets of of this that included the kit. (laughs) And uh, we had never dreamed of having one ourselves, but uh, he gave us one, and I put it together.
0: It sounds like the perfect gift to give a father like yourself, knowing what I do about you and your intelligence and curiosity. Is it a four-season?
3: It's four-season, but the the winter season is limited. It does get below freezing in here from time to time in the winter. This water tank is never frozen, even in the harshest weather. But we're limited to salad vegetables that aren't affected by a a single freeze. Mm -hmm. I can't remember it getting any colder than mid-20s in here, mm-hmm. so it holds the heat pretty well. These, these beds serve as heat sinks as well.
0: Now, structurally speaking, has there ever been a storm here that could blow it away, or has there ever been damage? What kind of maintenance do you use?
3: We've never had any damage. Uh, it does require occasional maintenance to seal up some of the seams between the panels, and there's some... Tape on the outside in certain places that I have to renew from time to time, but it's it's really de minimis. It's not much maintenance at all because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if the roof leaks a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's just going to drip on our vegetables.
0: What else and could you use a geodesic dome for other than the purpose you're well using it for? The- live in
3: them. Uh, Buckminster Fuller, way back in the 40s or 50s or a long time ago, uh, he invented the de- geodesic dome, and there was a time when People were building a lot of these to live in, building them as homes. But a lot of them found that the multiple seams and intersections caused nightmare maintenance problems Mm -hmm. and leakage problems. I would like to point out, too, that we can leave this place for two or three weeks, and it'll still keep the vegetables alive through the drip irrigation system and the timer.
0: Can you describe to the audience what... Is the characteristic of a geodesic dome? Is it the shape?
3: The geodesic dome is comprised of these triangular panels that fit together in an intersecting way and provide strength. The, each panel provides structure to the other panels, or the, the framework at least does. I've, I've been up there standing on the top of this framework and it's fine. I love being in here. I love the sound of the water. And thank you for
0: taking the time to speak with us. You're quite welcome. Thank you. That was Jim Sanders from the Seeds Group Energy Circle speaking to us in September of 2022 from his home on the subject of his geodesic dome. Jim and his wife, Pat Sanders, are also advocates of the Northeast Audubon Society and have produced delightful segments for the birds. Previously heard on WJFF's Farm and Country. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteer Keith Hubbard. Special thanks goes to our guests from the Seeds Group Jack Barnett and Jim Sanders. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill. Public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org.
4: If you hear good music, you're listening to Radio Catskill.
0: Your weekend can't even
4: begin until Clyde Alvin Yates III sets it off Saturday night at seven. At nine, an hour of global sounds from the African diaspora on Afro pop. Then at ten, selector Starkey and DJ Chuck spend four hours of funk, hip hop, roots reggae, club classics, and more live on Old School Sessions. Saturday night only on Radio
1: Catskill. This groove is dangerous.
0: I'm Brooke Glad.